want to get high, man. Let's stimulate your mind. Get up, Chucky. What have we got here? Fucking comedian. <laughs> Rojan Kim. Perfect. Great. Okay. Um, cool, man. Um, all right. So, welcome everybody to Rojan Kim to the Rojan Kim. <laughs> yeah, stumble over the title of my own podcast. Uh, welcome to the Rojan Kim cast. It's me, Rojan Kim. Joining me today is Bronson Jones. He is a comedian. Um, that's where I met him. I met him at the Ice House doing comedy. Uh, but he's also a filmmaker, right? Um, actor. Retired. Retired. Uh, are you for sure? Uh, I, no, no. Actually, I'm, I'm just on a hiatus. I take it. I, I took a sabbatical from stand-up for a long time, uh-huh. or because of the production side. Gotcha. And now I'm taking a production. I'm taking a sabbatical from production, but I'm finally been dropping into sets, talking to my friends. I'm I'm I'm, I'm gearing up to get back into it. Okay. And I wouldn't say filmmaker. I was a commercial music video maker. Okay. Pro maker. I never made a proper film, but that's why I moved out here. Would you like to? Is yeah. that something? So narrative is something yeah. ultimately you'd like to do. I don't know. I feel like that's that counts. New, that counts. Right, like I mean, you, anybody yeah. can be a filmmaker. Literally, if you make Instagram stories now, so I feel right. like you've actually Most least filmmakers had a, have never seen film. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I mean, we were talking about that before the podcast even started. Um, just about how we both come from the the old days of analog film. We yeah. um, touched. I'm sure. Have you touched your share of uh, film? I've like touched uh, a lot touch, of things, <laughs> touch a lot, a lot of things in the dark. Uh, Actually, of, my, one of my first jobs out of college that was like anything production related is I edited a, a 16 millimeter documentary film on an actual. Uh, Christ, I can't even remember the name. What's the flatbed thing with the the, the films running here? The the um, running here. The Steenback or yeah. the uh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, that, yeah that's yeah. how long ago it was. I'm like, I don't even remember. No, I, what it was called. I bear. I mean, I never. I just saw someone use one. I never yeah. used one myself. But yeah, yeah, I totally remember, dude. Yeah, it was. And so literally, you literally cut the film and you cut the t- you splice, uh, yeah you these kids don't it. understand no. like what the <laughs> what cutting physical it actually meant you if you fucked up you fucked up like you know like i if you actually cut into a frame you'd be yeah. like oh shit now you got to tape it and then recut yeah, yeah. it again you know it's like um and also if you did something like say you pulled a couple frames and you miscut on the on the audio side versus the film side so all of a sudden everything goes out of sync and you have to kind of scroll through it you can find it pretty quick because there's a splice but it's, uh, yeah, she's like, it, once once the Avid really kicked in and I saw how great it was, I'm uh-huh. like, this is the greatest thing ever. And now there's 20 different versions of, you so, know. Oh, okay, so you cut, saw this, uh, like, transition between yeah. the I'm old, dude. Linear, I'm 49. 49. I'm 41. So, yeah. I, like, uh, yes, I was uh, right behind you there. I My first job, the first job I was telling you about was the first time Final Cut Pro tried to do film like was spitting out EDLs or whatever you know like uh, none of this is probably so boring to most people (laughs) but like but you know like uh, basically back in the day there was no fucking editing programs except for one Avid and then another one came which was Final Cut and that was a huge deal that was like the biggest deal because Avid cost like you'd have to drop 10, 20 grand to get an Avid going, man. That was a garbage piece of system, like a proper Avid like a a really super high end thing that the the big pros were using Yeah, you were talking like 250 to four hundred thousand dollars because it just because those were processing really really high amounts of uh, like high resolution. Yeah 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 yeah. And then all of a sudden, when Final Cut really kicked in, you realize that for ten to fifteen grand, you could have a full pro level system because the Apple was such a powerful computer. And yeah. The program they figured out how to make the program as powerful as the uh, Avid. 
Um, yeah, and that so was all part of the, like, yeah, you so you kind of saw the democratization kind yeah. of, right, of filmmaking, because it used to be pretty, used to be a pretty high bar you had to kind of get to just have access to the equipment yeah. or, like, even own any of it or any of that. The, the barrier of entry has gone, has basically been re completely removed, because the fact yeah. of the matter is, is the early video cameras is my iPhone is better camera yes. than all of the early video cameras and probably even better audio than some of the really crappy ones. Wow, imagine the thousands of dollars you spent on those like, you know, oh, those yeah. old school like 720 by 480 cameras. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, the resolu like resolution, yeah, way worse than your phone, basically. So um, basically the only thing stopping people, I think, from making a movie now is that they don't just go out and make it. And the only right. thing stopping people from making a good movie now is the same thing that always stopped people from making good movies. Exactly. They don't know what they're doing when they have the money to do it. Right. Most and, movies suck. And in general, isn't that, you know, art, Art in general is just like that, right? Because uh, there used to be a time where nobody knew how to even write, read or write, and now everybody has Microsoft Word, but it doesn't mean that we're all pumping out novels. You know, yeah, like we're using it's a, emojis. Yeah, <laughs> thank goodness for that. Going back to hieroglyphics, and I yeah. think that's that's really the way of the future. <laughs> we don't have time, broad students. There's not enough time. Yeah, I, I got to tell you, I love emojis. I, I, as a 49 year old man, I find it so amusing to send people emojis. Do you mind holding the mic a little bit oh, closer? Yeah, we'll yeah, do yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I love I love sending emojis and I um and what I tend to do is every now and then somebody that I don't know is uh -huh. I send them a random array of emojis and uh -huh. I know that they're they're now sitting there going I don't know this like guy. deciphering they're trying to figure out what hieroglyphic <laughs> message I sent them and all I honestly did was just scroll through and pick stuff so you it was actually at random yeah. and you are. That's essentially like a, sort of like a mischievous, uh, yeah. like a, yeah, like kind of like a, a puckish or Loki-ish type move because yeah. people would actually try to decipher. They're gonna. Because they spend time. Yeah. What does he mean? Anybody who knows me just goes, these are just random pictures. Right. I don't care. Uh -huh. And then anybody who doesn't know me, you, you would, if somebody sends you a bunch of random emojis, you'd be like, this has to be a sentence. There right. has to be some meaning to this because why would you send... Right. Well, it depends on the type of person you are because I think yeah. I would give up too. Like I would... <laughs> Even if I would just feel like I can't, I have no idea. If he did mean anything, he's obviously insane, and <laughs> or else this is hilarious. You know, it's funny. <laughs> this is a funny it's thing. It's like he's older people just think that the kids know. Uh -huh. <laughs> this must mean something. <laughs> why? Why would somebody put these series of fucking pictures next to each other? Well, everything is essentially just kind of like you're in a beautiful mind, and it's just like yeah. you know, strings to news articles <laughs> leading everywhere. It's like, don't you see? Don't you see the trail? Um, so, Bronson, you were saying. So you were on a filmmaking hiatus. You were on a comedy hiatus. Did, yeah. Is that sort so of a pattern? The, that, you you want to give me the rundown? The sort of the brief little bio? Little, sure, man. Go for it. Okay. Basically, I started uh, college my freshman year. I thought I was going to be a doctor. I determined I didn't like hanging out with all the nerds I was hanging out with. I transferred schools to the University of Colorado uh -huh. because uh, I knew I could get in there and I wanted to go skiing. And then when I was there, I started taking some film studies classes and realized I really loved film and TV and wanted to work in that. So I got a film studies degree and then a journalism degree, two separate ones, uh -huh, uh -huh, uh -huh. which the journalism, actually, I think they both kind of help in stand-up because journalism is, it's, it's how to tell a story. Sure. And um, so then I was, I was in the University of Colorado Boulder, stayed in Bo and Boulder and then Denver from 92 to 95, so it was three years, and I was just working on production on whatever would come through town. So mm -hmm. I was like a production coordinator on a movie of the week, you know, like a lifetime thing where mm -hmm. you know, some hospital disasters, that yeah. sort of stuff. Um, commercials, the next, you know, you'd be on a commercial, you're a boom operator. Because those little towns, it's sort of like you do whatever's necessary to do it. And they have their A crew that's always sort of working. And then the B and C crews gotcha. work when the A's busy, you know? Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And as I'm looking around, I realized I wanted to be a director. That's what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And I was just looking and realizing that even unless it was some small like like John Elway Ford commercial, you know, like a you know where it's a local company. Mm-hmm. If it was like a big company coming into Colorado to shoot in the mountains, like uh-huh. up in uh, Rocky Na- Mountain National Park or something like that, that the directors and producers were always coming from. New York, LA, or if it was commercial Chicago, uh-huh. you know, those those kind yeah. of three hubs. Definitely, yeah. So I said to myself, well, if I want to direct movies, which was my dream, is I have to either move to New York or LA. I grew up outside of Philadelphia, and so I just went. I'll just keep going west, just so I don't backtrack. Gotcha. Uh-huh. So I ended up moving out here in 1995, and within uh, like there used to be this book. It's online now, but there used to be a book called the LA Forum one, uh-huh. and it had every everything. It was about it was about two and a half, three inches thick book of the resources of everything you could possibly need to shoot a commercial or a music video. Ah, okay. So all the vendors were in there. It's like just but, a big old production book, basically. Yeah. yeah. So almost all the producers who were, uh, almost all the active producers were in there, the production managers, the coordinators. Uh, either, they didn't really have a PA section because that would just be 20,000 people. <laughs> right. But like the DPs were in there and so it had their agents numbers, whatever. Uh-huh. Yeah. And uh, I went through the entire production manager thing with a highlighter and I highlighted yellow everybody who I left a message for because it's back in the days of answering machines yep. and beepers, yep. you know? And then uh, if I talked to somebody, then I highlighted it orange. And then if they gave me a job, I circled it with red. Uh-huh. So I could just look at a piece of paper and go, okay, these are the people nice. I'm actually talking to. These are who I left this. Right. I don't have that. If I had that kind of energy in stand-up, I would be making so much money. <laughs> I'd be working. So it didn't translate yeah. over to... Well, I just got old, and I'm like, I don't want to no, do that I, Yeah, I no, no, I don't have that 25-year-old. I need it. <laughs> So anyway, I started working in production on music videos, commercials, and the industry used to be very segregated. Like, if you worked music videos, commercials, that was one. Yep. I remember that. Yep, yep. There was television was another one. Yep. Film was another. Mm -hmm. And I really kind of, like, so that was 1995, but uh, my first first job was like a uh, commercial for McDonald's, where I was a PA and got yelled at by the director. Because I didn't know how to like, they were like, "I'll oh, just stand in the parking lot," because they they had no use for me because I was new. Uh-huh. And of course, the director pulls in, like, "Where am I supposed to park?" And I'm like, "I don't know." And he's like, "Then what use are you?" And drives away. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, and then because I was coordinating out in um, uh, Colorado before, is I ended up sort of getting a coordinator job right away. So mm-hmm. I did, did another music video and then a Ronald McDonald commercial with with actual Ronald in it. Oh shit! As a coordinator, and nice. then my fourth job out here was Michael Jackson's Earth Song. Oh, and Michael was filmed in a uh, cornfield out in New Jersey, where they made it look like a burned-down rainforest. And Man, then, so that was <laughs> one part of the crew was this New York crew, and I was part of the LA crew, which then went to Africa. I got to go to Africa, but then I came home. Then they went to Croatia. Then they went to Brazil. Holy shit! It's a really beautiful video with a, with a child molester. I it. feel like I do remember this now. When you say it was, did they actually have to burn stuff to make it look like a burned down rainforest? Like no, they, they, so what they it, what they did is they um they created you know like a fake burned down rainforest like uh-huh. literally in a cornfield. They just leveled the cornfield and they put in yeah like fake okay trees that gotcha. they had, you know pyrotechnics to right. do the fire right. But then what it did have is it had real footage of the crew that went to Brazil, they they literally went out to where they were ripping down the rainforest nice. and they were just filming get and they were kind of like, footage. they're like, hey, can you get this tree this way? So they were sort of participating, but right. those trees were coming down anyway. Of course. And then um, there was an elephant that they wanted a dead elephant because what happens, Michael sings so well that the, he spins the world backwards. It's sort of, of course. Superman oh, the world su- goes oh, backwards. You know? Beautiful. He sings so beautifully that, right. that the, the club seals come back to life and right. dolphins that have disappeared come back. And right. So there was an elephant that uh, they, they were doing, there was a vet doing research on wild elephants. 
and sort of darting them and then uh, doing the research. And then what we did is we went out with him. He darted one. They put it down and literally we're Ran it I'm touching an elephant. Oh, These things are so huge. Uh-huh. African elephants are yeah. not. African elephants are not trainable. Indian elephants are trainable. Right. And um, these things are massive. And so anyway, we're there. And then so when, it, when it, you know, he kind of gave it the come back to life juice is, uh, you know, they filmed that. So it looked like that. But, you know, in post-production, this is the early days of digital. Yeah. Because they made the, they took the tusks off and made the tusks come out. But <sighs> because of all this is, is there was actually bad publicity that they'd killed a real elephant. Right. And so right. I was taking photos on the set that we weren't supposed to be doing. Like the, uh-huh. the Producers knew who I was. Uh-huh. They're just like, don't show these to anybody. Right. And then all of a sudden it became, yo, there's really, really bad press. Can we have those photos of you showing that this they elephant's needed fine? all the shit. Okay. And oh, they, I got gotcha. you. Oh, just to. And the one dead elephant was actually just a, uh, like a, a prop, like somebody made it. Uh-huh. So. So it was like counter propaganda. Yeah. You needed to, <laughs> you needed your pictures to be like, no, we, uh, no animals were harmed in the making yeah. of this. Uh, but I think, so I, I feel at, like. At 25, uh, I learned to love the business because I was like, what am I doing in Africa? This is right. crazy. That sounds amazing, like an amazing yeah. experience. Um, actually, one of the things I learned about just film in general is that implicit in filmmaking, no matter what, is like, like for instance, like you were saying, the whole point of you filming the elephant was to spread a message of healing yep. the world, but in essence, you are destroying the world in order to get that message F- across. Filmmaking is you a know? very, very environmentally unfriendly No, business. it's very destructive, and like, yeah. I, I started on car commercials uh, in oh, San yeah, Francisco, yeah. so I mean, it was, you know. uh, yeah, 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 so it was like, seriously, between every take, there's a water truck that just dumps water onto the street mm-hmm. just for the shot. And that's it. And I was just like, "Once you look at the dry street, it's boring." Yeah, that was it. Blew my fucking mind. I was just like, "Holy shit!" You guys are selling cars, and on top of it, just wasting water. <laughs> it's just a big old fuck you to Earth. Like we don't give a fuck about Earth at it, all. All right, okay. It's, that's really really bad because it's just a colossal waste of water. And then also the sets they build these massive, oh, massive sets. Yeah, with with really expensive like like stuff in it, and then they just tear it all down. But I think the industry, because I. I kind of took my hiatus around 2005 and in the early 2000s there was companies that really were they were into recycling you know if you have a flat you uh-huh. can use it dozens and dozens of times just paint it different ways yeah yeah and yeah, so yeah, they yeah. were into starting to recycle stuff but obviously some filmmakers are like I don't want this in another shoot right. so you know you have to spray paint it to ruin I it I think but. yeah overall the industry has probably gotten better just like all the other industries but it in in the end, it's the when it comes down to it, if it's yeah. priorities, like everything is going to garbage, right? Like yeah. if it's like we just got to move, get out of here, or whatever, you know, it's like everything's just going to go to the garbage, full bottles oh, yeah. of water, nope. just going to the guy. I mean, that, I mean, I used to empty that, you know, I used to be a PA, so, um, so you started so, with the filmmaking, you were here, so that's you're okay, saying mid '90s, mid to late '90s, so right now, I moved, right? I moved out Jan- January fifth, nineteen ninety five. So within the first year, I was fortunate enough to be working with a director who had to do an entire album of music videos for oh, a shit. Japanese rock band called nice. X Japan. Okay. Which if, if anybody's Japanese and you hear X Japan with Yoshiki and all uh-huh. those guys, they're like, what? So they're, they're huge. Yeah. They're huge. They're massive. Okay. They're like the huge all-star Japan. super Okay, band. gotcha. Um, you know, they play Tokyo Dome at New Year's Eve, that kind of a band. All right, okay. And uh, so he had to do their whole album and he's just burnt out. And he goes, hey, listen to this one song because he just loved me. He's like, listen to the song, see if you can come up with an idea. And I came, uh-huh. back, came back the next day with a full treatment. He goes, this is amazing. Co direct it with me. So nice. within a year, I got to direct my first thing with nice. this guy like over my shoulder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's X Japan White Poem, if anybody wants to watch it. And um, then I went, you know, still coordinating, then moving up to production manager, and then moving up to producer. And slowly but surely, I started getting uh, not more music videos, but more TV commercials and promos. TV uh-huh. promos. Uh-huh. So I did a lot of that. 
Wait, so, wait, wait. X Japan White Poem? White Poem 1, even. And there's white no, Poem There's no one. White Poem 2, so okay. I don't really know why it's called White Poem No, one. it's kind of like Mel Brooks. It's like History of the World Part 1. Yeah. You know, it's, <laughs> you know, it's just an artistic flair. I, think it's, yeah. you know, I appreciate it. All right, and then I actually saw um, on your website you did some like Olympic promos and stuff like that. Yeah. It's a, um, yeah. I, I was working with NBC in their promotional department. Uh-huh. And um, so like I was, I was actually producing shoots for them. And a couple of their people saw me do stand-up comedy, and they're like, "You should be writing for us. Why are you producing?" And I'm like, "Because producing pays more than writing, like right. especially in, in you know copywriting versus shoe producer." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, they're like, "Well, we'd like to bring you in not full time, but permalance kind of the thing, like, uh-huh. like a long-term freelance." Uh-huh. And I said, "Well, I'll only do it if you'll let me direct things that I write that you like." And then eventually they made good on their promise, and I was standing on the side of a mountain doing a bunch of Winter Olympics Sweet. things. And nice. Then, then, uh, that must have been great too. That, that was amazing. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so then, so you were saying you actually did stand up during this time. So when did you actually start stand up? Was that like my, in the middle of all this somewhere? Well, the thing is, my stand up, my first gigs ever were in Colorado a year after I graduated uh-huh. college. Uh-huh. I did three sta- open mics at Comedy Works Denver downtown, which okay. is one of the best clubs in the whole country. But you have no concept of how good it is as, as an open micer. Gotcha. Yeah. And then I didn't go back until 2016. I went back and featured for Dean Del Rey. Uh huh. And, I, you know, I've been hearing about how great this club is. I'm like, yeah, well, I, technically I started there, but I didn't. Right. You know? Right. 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 And when I went in there and saw the layout, I'm like, incredible. And I told somebody in the staff and the owner when uh, uh, Wendy Curtis came in, she's like, I heard you started here. I'm like, yeah, but way back. And and uh, and the MC's like, should I tell him that? And I go, please, please don't tell the crowd <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Because if I eat it, not good. <laughs> and if I don't eat it, I will fucking let them know. Right. And that room is set up. It's set up so, it's just such a perfect perfect place for stand-up really yeah i've heard so many good things about i've never been there yeah i've heard so many good things the first like just the way it's laid out is they don't have tables between seats they have arm breasts with with multiple drink holders so everybody's on top of each other oh Um, that's nice okay slightly raked seat yeah yeah stadium seating a little bit yeah okay and um really low ceilings and they're the first club to introduce the yonder bag you know the thing that that locks up your cell phone yeah yeah smart it's and it came down to um wendy curtis owns it because we were like, these are amazing. Uh-huh. Like once you perform in a room with them, you're like, this is the greatest thing that's right, ever yeah, happened yeah. in live performance is to get rid of the one thing that's ruined live performance. Yeah. Not the one thing, but something that's ruined all of our lives. Yeah. <laughs> and um, she said that Dave Chappelle came in, like he blew out a week, like, hey, you know, somebody called up, hey, Dave Chappelle wants to do your club next week. And they're like, okay. And, you know, so yeah. whoever the huge headliner is is like, yeah, I get it. Yeah. But he came in with these things and she's like, I don't know what these are, but whatever. So just lock up the phones. You know, so your phone is on you, but it's, you just can't. Yeah, you can't it. get to it. Yeah, and he, um, she was the first night. She was just watching him. He's just crushing, and she's like, "Wow, it's Dave Chappelle." And then by the third night, she's like, "Yeah, it's Dave Chappelle, but nobody crushes this hard this long uh-huh. in today's world anymore. Like uh-huh. it used to be, but it's not." And then she goes, "It's because it's not today's world anymore because their phones are locked up, so people are actually." He's forcing them to pay attention. <laughs> yeah, basically, he's, he's like, making them not lose attention. Yeah. Well, the phone is so addictive. It's yeah. an attention device that's addictive as fuck. So it's it, that means that even Dave Chappelle can't compete. You know what I mean? Dave Chappelle live in front of you cannot compete with yeah. cell phones. Like he had to actually come up with a solution. It's like part of the solution. Part of the thing is that he doesn't want to be filmed. Uh huh. And then the other part is that is it was just amazing because being on stage once you really realize how good it is yeah is you realize that the like because you keep seeing cell phones out there and then you realize oh those aren't cell phones those are the waitresses ordering things so then you can just basically as you're as you're on stage performing you can just basically track where the waitresses are because they're the only lights that are nice moving around the room and um 
So that's where I, I did my first open mics. But then I moved out here and I was doing working on film and, and I did stand up as a sort of a, like I was a hobbyist, you know, once a month. But you just thing. like felt something in yeah. you, obviously, from way back when yeah. was like, I want to do stand up. You know, yeah. I want to do this. Okay, so you did always want to do it. That's I was cool. one. I always, I just loved watching it when I was a kid. And yeah. like my first open mics, I just, I loved it. It was just that I was so fixated on becoming a director. Uh-huh. And then what happened is, so I was still doing stand up as, as a, just a hobby. Yeah. You know, and I was building my director's reel and, and getting good and making money, which I don't make now. Yeah. And um, uh, I, I quit for five years, like mm-hmm. 2003, kind of quit. Just because I just didn't have time, yeah, and, and also like I, it was the, I was leading the life where somebody would call me and be like, "We need you in New York tomorrow," and you just grab your bag and go, yeah, you, know, yeah, you have a jump yeah. bag. You literally have a bag that's all right. packed. Just like, oh, fuck it, yeah. And um, you can't you start canceling enough gigs, nobody's ever going to hire you, again. yeah. And so I was just kind of like, yeah, whatever. And then in 2008, the recession hit, so everything slowed down. There wasn't much production work. Mm-hmm. And because I owned a company with my brother at this point, everybody's calling us all the time, and it's so annoying that I realized, oh wait, that's me with my clients, right. <laughs> So I need to slow down on my phone calls to them because I can call them once every two months, but you call them every week. They're like, dude, we told you there's nothing. We're right. dying here. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, yeah, but we're dying here, and my crew's dying here. And I just started doing stand-up again just to, just to blow off steam. And within a couple of months, I was like, I don't care if I'm ever on another set because stand-up is freeing. And Because I, I, okay. I used to be very observational, like, like Seinfeld was my hero. Right. And then when I came back... It's kind of, you know, I started with that sort of stuff because that's what I'd already written. Uh-huh. But eventually I started just screaming at the corporations. And like yelling, a madman. Yeah. yeah, okay. <laughs> which, uh, yeah, which I yeah. saw. Yeah, which I thought was awesome. <laughs> so that, yeah. yeah. Found, like, when you watch my really, really early tapes, you're like, it's better written. It's way better written than sure. I do now. Sure, sure, sure. Because right now I, I get up and talk. And right. I'll figure it out by the yeah. fifth time. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's locked it in. Right. But in the beginning, it was all like word for perfect, and it was, yeah. it was about nothing. Right. Seinfeld. Yeah. You were just more of like a set of punch type person. It didn't really matter if there was a theme or not. It was just yeah. essentially joke after joke. Yeah, yeah. I, and I finally realized what people said is, because I remember somebody's like, Brian, you're really, really funny. And I'm like, thanks. And he goes, but I don't know who you are. Uh-huh. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I was like, what are you talking about? And, and it, it didn't occur to me until later when I came back and I just started talking. Uh-huh. That I'm like, if you don't know who I am after I'm off, off stage now, right. I, don't, I really don't know what you're like. <laughs> yeah, then you weren't paying attention. Because yeah, yeah. I'm truly just myself and I don't really give a fuck if I'm funny. That's right. Just, that's a side right. effect. Which I think is one of the great things about stand-up is that it allows... It's one of the last places where you can actually just be honest, try just to be yourself. Yeah. You know, that's that's sort of... Something about that is, I think, especially nowadays... Um, well, it's just rare. It's even more rare. Everything's so manufactured. You know, everything's just so carefully curated, manufactured, yeah. or in these little snippets of, like, manufactured reality that, you know, people don't... I don't know. I, I, I don't know. It's... it's. I feel like... Um, well, actually, that's a. I heard. I think it was Doug Stanhope talking about that same thing about like how he wants to know who you are as a comedian. Yeah. And interestingly enough, like Mitch Hedberg, he even though he was a one-liner comedian, you still know know who the guy. is. You know what I mean? Like it he, comes through. Like he's a, he's it's a unique character. The way that because you know Stephen Wright was sort of the first guy. Like I'm sure there were one-liner guys. Of before course, Stephen. Yeah, Wright, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. But he's course, the first guy to really crack nationwide. Right. And there was just such a stoner kind of like. I'm high, but, or maybe I'm a super genius, but it's weird. Right. Versus Hedberg, where it's not, it's the same style, but he's much more of a looking down, and you're, you're like, oh, he's very, very high. Not yeah. Just, <laughs> not intellectual high, just like. Right, just, right. But, the, you know, and the joke's genius. 
Well, yeah, and Hedberg was kind of like, that's like a jazz man right there. Yeah. <laughs> that man is a high on heroin, and it's just flowing through. <laughs> but that is, but he's not putting on uh, a character. You know, he's not yeah. putting on a construct uh, through through which the jokes go through. I mean, he well, is and he well, isn't. Well, you say right? that, but I, I don't know what he's like. That's true. I uh, mean, one of the weirdest things I've ever saw, and, and I, I think he did it once, and I don't think he ever did it again, was there is there's a clip somewhere, and I saw it. Stephen Wright breaks character when he's on the couch, uh-huh. and it it destroyed everything. Interesting. Yeah, it's yeah, sort yeah. of like like if you look at Bobcat Goldthwaite. Yeah, is whenever he was on the couch on those shows, he was he was doing all that and all yeah, the crazy. Yeah, yeah. And now, as an older guy, he's doing straight stand-up, and he doesn't do any of those weird voices and stuff. And it's just so weird because you realize, oh, that was just an act, right? And exactly, so with Hedberg, yeah. I, I'd never met him, so I don't know. I'm like, how much? Well, I mean, how that's... just how just stoned and weird was he? Just walking because some of those people are that weird walking around. Yeah. Well, I don't. I mean, you. Well, I guess we'll never know. But like, um, I feel well, like we can ask people who knew him. Well, we that's true. I, I, I'm sure we can. <laughs> no, I will probably will never meet those people. <laughs> is what it is. But uh, like, uh, well, I hear like Emu Phillips is kind of like that. You know, like Emo. I feel like uh, uh, there's a that sort of that time period where yeah. there were, were these comics that sort of quirky just weirdos yeah. though but I, I don't know a lot of them you kind of had the feeling that they were genuinely weird you know like that yeah. it wasn't an act like it was like well, I, they, I will know. tell you emo, emo's out there doing stand-up again yeah like, yeah 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 I've seen as, him out there yeah yeah, yeah. And um, I'm, and he's hilarious man I like I still trying to get him to do my show which I, I oh really I okay love oh dude he's I remember him from when I was a kid uh-huh. 13, 14, 15. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Seeing him? Yeah. I saw him when I was a kid, too, and yeah. he's, his Twitter is hilarious. I mean, he's still funny. Oh, he's I, still, I, I he, gotta check out his Twitter. Yeah, yeah, he's funny. <laughs> so I don't, like, that's, I feel like that's the thing about uh, comedians that I've seen who get older. You just see that they're just, you're just kind of like lifers, you know? It's just basically yeah. you're just like, uh, well, I make this joke about how, you know, I, I do it because I'm a sick person, you know? Like, it's just, I yeah. just have to. It's like, I, mean, I don't even know what I want out of it anymore. It's just, honestly, I just, like, have to do it, you know? Like, I just have yeah. to keep doing it. And, you know, I mean, obviously, I, I actually, like making people laugh. You've just voiced what, you've voiced in fewer words what goes through my head. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which okay, is, so you understand. Be, <laughs> I used to have this goal list of like, okay, I want to get on uh, one of the late night shows and then I want to uh-huh. do this and uh-huh. I want to play uh-huh. these clubs and I want to do this theater and then I want to move, you know, like move to stadium, you know. Yeah. Like, like that whole goal thing. And now I'm just kind of like, I don't really give a shit. I just, I know I have a gig tonight and I'm doing it. And yeah. I keep booking these gigs and I'm like, well, what's the end goal? And I go, really? The end goal is just to be standing there with a microphone. Yeah, just to do I it. Ca- I don't care if I'm in Madison uh, Square Garden or... It's a lot like cocaine, where yeah. the point of it is to just do more, you know, yeah. <laughs> just keep doing it until you die, <laughs> you know, just do it until it's all done. Like essentially, I mean, do well, it I think, you know, gone. yeah. <laughs> Except instead of cocaine, do stand up. Yeah. You know, stand up is better for you. <laughs> like in that. Well, I think for me, um, you know, uh, I had a similar journey to you. Except I, I think if I was smarter, I would have started stand up earlier. But I, I, so I did film. Yep. first and then i went broke <laughs> doing film because i kept shooting uh, like comedy videos i just kept shooting them uh, like paying for them oh, myself spending your own money i'm spending my own money oh, like Christ, a moron what's the matter yeah. With you? <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> that's retarded but that's not a filmmaker <laughs> that's a homeless person in the making exactly that's a homeless that, was, uh, that was my goal uh, i guess and uh so basically i uh ruined everything uh that i built up no i really had nothing but yeah. um i built my credit, uh, I ruined my credit, and uh, I have some, but I have some sweet comedy videos, um, which you know I still stand by. And you uh, ruined your credit for IMDb credits. 
No, no, no. For just YouTube. Like, for two YouTube, YouTube views. <laughs> for two views on YouTube. Yeah. And it was worth it, I tell you. <laughs> this is why I'm not a capitalist or a businessman, a good, uh, you know, I need a, a business manager yeah. is really what it is. But, uh, uh, yeah, dude, like, I, I, I went broke, so then yeah. I started figuring uh, a lot of these sketches, I feel like, are maybe just premises to jokes. Like, I don't know. I don't, at mm -hmm. some point, I just thought maybe I would start just going on stage and trying these out. And yeah, then yeah. it became a quicker route to the laugh. And okay. then and then it just became like stand up for me became just like the crack version of what I was seeking through filmmaking. Like okay. the, the, you know, like that's what it just kind of felt like to me is like everything got reduced down to like, oh, this is instantaneous. But at, yeah. in the same way, I don't know if you've ever done crack. I mean, I've never really actually I've never done. Crack. I, I, I feel I've like done, I've, I've done so many other drugs. Yes. Well, I mean, you in terms of anything that's like, um, either coke or speed or whatever anything that gives you a rush and then you come down and you want mm -hmm. more you know like i felt like well, my, my old joke about cocaine was cocaine's a drug that makes you feel like a new man the problem is 20 minutes later that new man wants some cocaine <laughs> <laughs> or no that new man wants to feel like a new man that's, that's <laughs> yeah that's which is exactly that that is the draw of it um and uh, stand-up's the same. It's like that exhilaration. You know, when you yeah. hit, fucking hit a new tag or hit a new joke or fucking crush a room or whatever, that yeah. feeling that you can't describe, it's so high, but then it's gone, you know? Then it's just, <laughs> it's gone. You know, the, the weirdest thing is the more you do this, because it, it, it's a craft. I mean, you just get better and better by doing it more and more. Although I do see people out there that I, I saw from before I quit. Who are yeah, there, and, I'm like, and of course. This person, yeah. they're doing new jokes, so it's not like they're doing the same act, but I'm like, they still suck. How can you still? And they're doing it three, five nights a week. Right. I'm like, how do you have this many sets under you and you still suck at this? Yes. Yet you'll do it. Right. I mean, there is no one answer. Yeah. You know, that's the whole thing. Like, some yeah. people have it, some people don't, some people work hard, some people don't. You know, you know that's so okay. Back to the emotional aspect is it used to be if I had a bad set, uh -huh. I would be emotionally crushed for days. Yeah. Because I've been back there. when oh, I didn't yeah. have gigs, like now, you know, I'm gigging every night, uh -huh. multiples, if I feel like it, you uh -huh. know. And, um, so if I have a bad set, I'm just like, nah, it sucked, and I just move on to the next uh -huh, one. Yeah. And I just put it behind me, or I'll actually go through it like, all right, when did it start sucking? What did I do? What did they do? You know, yeah. you, you can actually analyze it. and Get like, less emotional about it. And then, But it's also when you have one of those sets where you just crush. Yeah. Is it used to that high used to sit with me for hours or a day? Yeah, same. And now it's like literally I get off yeah. stage and I'm like, well, that's not going to happen again for a while. Right. <laughs> that's a fluke. Yeah. <laughs> Those guys, that crowd was just dumb. It's really funny. Now, now I'm going to stand by the exit and listen to them fucking like say, yeah, yeah you're great, you're great. And then they're all going to leave. I'm going to go home alone still. Right. So Yeah, none of this matters. Yeah, none, none of this <laughs> matters. I just, I just want the time with the mic. Why didn't they take the mic? Yeah, this is actually more about me, actually. <laughs> this probably why comedians are all doing their podcasts like i'm booking my own stage time oh exactly We're yeah just obsessed with this, this what, I'm, what i'm doing right here with the what else here. do i want to do but just speak into a microphone just assume people want to listen <laughs> I mean, that's just but i think you know uh it people do want to listen I, I think there yeah. is definitely a um a need for people who have a hunger to hear certain things that they get through podcasts um podcasts i feel like even more than stand-up now is the platform where you can speak freely um you know what i mean like a lot oh, yeah. of people just speak freer than they speak in conversation you if, know if you think about what because i remember when um <clears throat> the internet first started having internet radio you know where people were actually making so basically they were podcasts right but they were either live streaming and they didn't really realize that wait we'll just take the clip and we send it to a central place and they just store all of them and yeah. then people can find yeah you know but the premise behind it is we're doing talk radio yeah 
with zero or twenty dollars a month for Libsyn right. to host my shit after I invested whatever right. three hundred bucks in this crap. Right. And then the rest is just my time doing it. And um, so there is no barrier to entry to have it. And really, you look at something like Joe Rogan being the most popular programming in all media at this right. moment. Is that that's you know just started with a bunch of couple dudes. Yeah. You know, you know or yeah. like Mark Maron, a dude in the garage. Right. And it became you know sitting there with. Barack Obama was in the Marin's garage. Right? Uh-huh. Bernie Sanders just did uh, Rogan. Yeah. No, huge. Yeah. It was Bernie, fucking Andrew Yang, Tulsi Gabbard. I mean, presidential ca- candidates actually going on the Joe Rogan podcast. That's <laughs> crazy. Well, I, one of the things, I used to work in like cable TV and shit, and so some traditional media, and like there's just some pretty open contempt you know for joe rogan or just really independent media in general like youtubers or whatever from the traditional Mm -hmm. media and it's actually pretty it's very interesting to see because i'll see like these new york times articles about how youtube's like radicalizing people and stuff like that but uh, but on the other hand i'm like but you're the times like people read you and like we'll get you know what i mean like you we went to the war i mean the iraq you didn't do anything to stop us going to the iraq war you know i mean like Mm -hmm. you, you know so it's not necessarily like I don't know. I'm just. It just feels like. Um, well, that paper. Well, the one thing, because as a journalism major, I'll say the one thing going for the New York Times is it started as a paper of record, and it was it was supposed to be unbiased, obje- like objective. You know, where there was an editorial comment. Yeah. There was, a, there was literally a section, the editorials, where this is people's opinions. This yeah. Is what we think. This is where we're endorsing candidates. But the rest of it was it's supposed news. To be yeah, it's hard news. Yeah. Objective. The gray lady. Let yeah. me give you information. You figure out how you feel about it. Yeah. And then cable TV, like the CNNs and all, like, because I was in journalism school when CNN, when the first Iraq war hit, and that's when CNN, CNN exploded gotcha. because yep. it was 24-7 coverage yep. with Wolf Blitzer standing there with, you know, yeah. the, the Scud yeah, missile the green sirens shit and, and the fucking, shit. yeah, and, and just being like, yeah, and, yeah, glorifying the shit. And, it, and that and the OJ thing really tr- trans, it changed the media landscape completely. That's around us. So it's really murder and war that mm-hmm. launched this media empire that we're yeah. now under. Basically, it's very, it's fat. I mean, that's it is. I mean, if it bleeds, it leads. I mean, it's essentially yeah. now. But that's now just how we got our president. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's sort of like that's now it's just writ large. I feel like there's you know there's uh, almost no check on the. Um, I feel like when once the media merged with. Uh, profiteering, yeah. you know that that when that became the bottom line, as opposed to like truth or safeguarding the public or something, you know. It, it used to be when when the airwaves when when basically there were three networks. There was ABC, NBC, CBS, mm-hmm. and the reason there were only three is because bandwidth wasn't very yeah. very expensive to buy by yeah, yeah. getting a national network. So then Fox joined it as number four, right? You know, before they were they were like sort of like the U UHF channels. That yep, came. and um, so they joined in and became a major network. But they were always the baby boy. But then all of a sudden, Fox became more, the Simpsons. Yep. I can't believe that show's still in here. That's incredible. Yeah. Thirty over thirty years. Yeah. yeah. And um, and then when cable hit, it really changed that whole landscape. But but basically, back in those days, is the news divisions were funded and they were their own separate entities, so mm-hmm. they could shit all over Kellogg's or whoever. Yeah. Coca Cola or Pepsi. The advertisers. Like, wh- whoever wh- whoever did something wrong, they could talk. Gotcha. About it. Yeah. And yeah. Of course. Were, they were an independent. Self-run, they had their own ombudsman. They were they were their own entity, and they did not have to answer to the advertisers. Mm-hmm. And then cable came around, and because then it becomes well, anybody anywhere can put on a cable, you know, yeah. put on a new show. And then then all of a sudden, you know, then they realized, 
you know, with things like Crossfire, like, oh, pe- people care more about people yelling at each right. other than they do about actually getting in- any information. Right. And then TV moved from being, you know, th- think about it, is Ronald Reagan was an actor. He became yeah. a, a president. Yeah. This is not a new thing. No, no, no. Like, and it's That's the same it. way that the well, actors are like, oh my God, reality stars are stealing our Yeah, our what do you, Reagan. Like, I like, always yeah. talk about Reagan too. See, that's the thing. I think it's because we're older. We yeah. remember that there was a fucking actor Sonny in Bono. office. Yeah, actors started becoming politicians. Gomer, uh, go- it's pretty openly. Yeah. Gomer from, <laughs> yeah, uh, Gomer. not Gomer, go- <laughs> the, Gopher from uh, Love Boat. He was, a, he was a congressman. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. Um, so, so people use fame to get Yeah, Clint Eastwood, fucking Jesse Ventura. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, fucking. It's not new, but now we've lowered the bar to allowing people who are just morons who have happen to be famous get power right and but i think at the same time that's you know it, it, to me it's all symptomatic of our culture right like all of it all of it like the fact that, i feel like to me our culture is always represented by whoever's president at the time yeah. right like whoever is president at the time that is us right like so obama was us george w bush was us like they're all us trump is us you know they're yeah. all a reflection of of us our psyche and like who we want up there and yeah we live in a reality t- the news has essentially become this drama this just high-pitched melodrama yeah. where trump is the evil man and they're trying to fight you know for whatever justice or whatever but all of it is this sort of transparent um money making sort of like circus <laughs> it just seems like you know like it just that's my whole thing is like you know like i have friends you know especially being comedians you have uh, friends who are like hype hyper conspiracy theorists yeah and the more yeah, they yeah, talk yeah. to each other the further they down this rabbit hole they go sure and they're always you know like, oh this illuminati this Illuminati. and i go it's it's there's a very simple answer it's called greed yeah i don't think it's and the people yeah. who have a lot of money want more money even though yeah. they don't need it yeah. and what's happened is they've everybody's figured out the system and they you know what took them you know years and years of building capitalism to figure out is they're now masters of it and they can they can yeah. make these cycles happen fast and they realize oh we can manipulate the politicians and not pay any taxes and our, our wealth is yeah so i mean they are in the end it's going to be a it's going it has to collapse it can't continue in this fashion well, if as long if as long as they just keep extracting wealth, yeah, yeah. yeah I think it, it, the people something's going to give. Yeah, something that people are going to or some disaster. Anything. Basically, they're getting. I feel like the country since nine eleven has slowly eroded to the point where any number of things could cause a systemic collapse. <laughs> so it could be the economy. It could be a tidal wave. It could be a terrorist attack. You know, it could be anything, or it could be all three. You know, like it, yeah. we're sort of yeah, putting ourselves in a highly vulnerable position i think mostly because of all the war I think we've been attacking everybody <laughs> yeah, but, you know, I, I don't know when the last time you read uh, 1984 was is i reread it about like, 10 years ago because i oh, when, not when that I long back, ago yeah yeah i actually just read it yeah maybe it was maybe six years ago it was when i came back to comedy eventually i started finding like i don't like to do political because it, it goes away real fast yeah yeah you know, so Trump jokes are only funny until Trump does something stupid. Yeah. Like, you try and do Trump jokes, and people are like, I don't remember that. And you're like, remember two weeks ago when he did this? Yeah. Like, well, he's done 50 It doesn't matter. Ago. Yeah, it doesn't matter. And, yeah. um, but, uh, you know, more gun control and more what, what's happening with, with uh, the environment, et cetera, like social issues, like yep. big yeah. issues, not sure. policy, not politicians. Yeah. And um, so I was like, oh, I should reread this book. And I did. And it's so, it's, I don't, I, I almost feel like it's not prescient. It's that people looked at it and goes, oh, this is how you do things. Right. Instead of being a warning sign, it became a, a user a, a manual. manual, essentially. I feel like we're living in that combination of 1984 and Brave New World. Yeah. Where there's like, because I don't think it's like, um, I think where the Western or America, whatever, but the Western sort of state 
smartened up is they realized we don't have to crush people into submission. Yeah. We could just make them willing consumers and sort of enablers of this machine. You know yeah, what I mean? You, like you, you just make a, them. Uh, you put the boot of debt on their neck. Yeah. And now they're all complicit. Yeah. yeah. And they, they have to keep this machine going. Mm-hmm. Like they have to keep it all, all going. I mean, think about this is right after nine 11. One of the first things that Bush said is, is, you have to go out and shop. Otherwise. Yeah, go shop. Otherwise, the <laughs> terrorists win. Yeah, it's yeah, literally go shop. The, the people yeah. in charge, the people with money, went. No, 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 no. This could collapse our economy yeah, yeah, because yeah. people are scared. Yeah, or people might start fucking shopping rationally. Oh right. People might stop oh right. People might start using their. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Like I, I've done that especially because, you know, when I used to work in commercials and advertising and whatever, is I was I had money to throw around and it, like I was fixed six figures a year and sure. Oh yeah, the ad money, and, yeah, and it was just ridiculous. So every time a new iPhone came out, I had it. Every, sure, you know, whatever cars, blah, blah, blah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, but now that I don't anymore, it took it's you know, it's taken me a good five years to really like rein my spending in. Uh huh. Because it was like I have credit out the ass, and I had my old savings account. Yeah, 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 yeah. Retirement account, which is now officially burned through. Yeah, yeah there you go. Just but, like a comic, yeah. But now it's like <laughs> I'm. It's like I actually made the decision. A lot of it came with traveling around the world. It's like everything I needed for eight weeks was in my backpack. Yeah. And I really went, why do I have all this shit around me? Because every time I move, yeah, I'm getting rid of so much shit. Right. And and like the less shit I have, the the freer I feel. Yes. And so I really I'm trying to get other people to do it. I saw this in an, you know, Oprah or Dr. Phil or some shit fifteen, twenty years ago. There was somebody talking about shopaholics and people who just they're just consuming to feel like they need something because they don't need anything. Uh-huh. And uh, they were really like, if you really want to cut your spending, the thing you need to do is it, when you're walking through the store and you're like, oh my God, I got to have this bag or I got to have these jeans. Yeah. Is that she goes, pick them up, really look at them, really analyze them and think about how great you're going to look at them uh-huh. and put it back down right. and come back in 15 minutes if you still want it. And what will happen nine out of 10 times is you'll be like, I don't give a you shit. You don't want it. Yeah. Because of that, that impulse. impulse. Yeah. That impulse. Do you um, do any kind of like a meditative practice or anything like that? Like any sort of a sitting, uh, sit, <laughs> sit any kind of a... You, you asked me this question now, yes. But <laughs> if you asked me this question 12 days ago, or what, what's the date now? Uh-huh. If you asked me this question 16 days ago, I'd be like, no. So you just started some well, kind I'm, of, uh, or I'm, trying. I'm on this crazy health thing I told you about. Yeah, yeah. And I don't, I don't want to, actually, when is this coming out? Uh, like next week. Okay, I can yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm doing something. Basically, okay. I've, been, I've been on this this crazy this crazy mission to lose 37 pounds in seven weeks, so I can jump out of this airplane. Right. Yeah. And <laughs> I realized the first thing, I, and I needed to lose the weight, and I needed to do all this stuff. I needed to take care of myself. But I, you know, I'm the kind of guy who drinks six pack, twelve pack every night. I'm huge. So for anybody listening, I'm six foot seven yeah. inches tall. He's a large man. He's I a big man. Two, yeah. Two hundred and sixty-two pounds. I'm down down to two forty-eight. Right. Come on. Come right. on, dude. In fifteen days. And um, and of course, I mean to yeah. get the get a visual for everyone. He's not like an obese. Man. I mean, this is a large man. <laughs> this is like yeah. a big dude. He's a, but he's not like a big fat man. Like he's a big guy. It's, he's it's, a big. You know what I'm saying? You like, know, my stomach has the egg thing. But, yeah, but I so, mean, yeah, yeah. No, because it's a funny thing is I was talking about it on stage because all I talk about it when I'm hosting is just what's happening in my life. Uh-huh. And I was saying. I go, I, I need to get my weight from 262 to 225 so I can jump out of a plane. And people are like, 225 is not a lot. And I go, it's a lot. 225. Like, or people are like, how are you over 225? And I go, if you're over 6'7", you're 225 just by being, like, if I was if I was a marathon runner, I'd probably be 215. Right. So I mean, just all, your bones. Like, yeah, so imagine being 10 pounds heavier than a marathon runner. Right. That's me. So that's skinny as fuck for you. Yeah. I, I gotta, that's like super skinny. Yeah. When, when, when I hit this number, because I'm going to just based on 
I just, I just, I'm in a bet with my buddy, and there's no way I'm going to lose to my, my green. Fuck yeah. Buddy. Hell yeah. Get that ego going. Looking at me. Hell like, no. Hey, I'm going to jump out of a plane today. Oh, that's right. You couldn't jump out of the plane. You're too fat. You <laughs> to, I told you you could lose the weight. I even set everything up. You don't want a green beret busting your balls. I feel like that's, that's yeah. hey, you want him to be like, yeah, that was good. Good for you, bro. You no, I mean, he's totally on my side. But it's <laughs> right, right, right. I don't want to let him down. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Actually, that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. He's the sweetest guy in the world. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, but in my mind, it's just funnier to, to be like, oh, he's an asshole. Even he's totally nice. <laughs> what gives you some motivation? Um, um, so, so to answer your question is, is, I have all these, I've had all these attempts that I've done at, at meditation or whatever. Yeah. But the thing is, you know, we're comedians, so we're out at night, and you get hammered. Yeah. You come home, you sleep all day, whatever. And so part of this losing the weight thing is the very first thing is I go, the drinking's done. Right. Yeah, it's got to, yeah. It's so many cars, but it's also, it slows your metabolism. It slows your brain. It makes you feel shitty. Right. And um, so, yeah, I'm proper diet and I'm exercising, but I also bought an Apple watch and I never thought I would like unsolicited. This is the greatest thing I've ever, this really? is the greatest piece of technology yeah. I've ever added to my life. I cannot believe how good it is. And I thought they were the dumbest things ever. Right? Okay. And I'm not like I have a, I own a slight amount of Apple stock, but I'm selling it all in the next couple of days because I need it to live. Okay. Um, so that's full disclosure. Full disclosure. <laughs> and okay. I, but I used to be the super tech guy, and I was like, who needs the watch? This is why it's the best. If you're working out, uh -huh. if I get on the elliptical and uh -huh. I start and I start on the elliptical, yeah, I yeah. didn't know it did this function until all of a sudden my wrist vibrated. I looked down, and thought I had it because it vibrates for text or whatever, uh -huh. and then you can talk into it, get your text back. Is my thing? So I thought, oh, cool! I'm on the elliptical. I hate this. I'm bored and listening to music. Yeah. And I looked at my watch and it says, "Are you on elliptical right now?" Get out if of here! So, so it knows so, that you were on a fucking. Yeah, because it basically it saw it's my heart. It's the motion it, and the heart rate. Okay, yeah. It does my heart rate. Gotcha. And, okay. And so it, it's noticing that my heart rate's going up and it's sustaining, uh -huh. and, and also that it's we're not moving anywhere on the GPS, uh -huh. but my arm's doing this motion, <laughs> and I guess they figured out that's what this is. And if I'm on, like, because I live a mile, the, the beach is exactly a mile down, right? Uh -huh. So I'll walk down there to get, you know, like, if I'm just buying, like, not groceries, but, you know, a couple small things, or the bars where I hang out all the time, I'll uh -huh. still hang out there sober, just because my buddies are there, is if I'm walking at a brisk pace, all of a sudden it vibrates and goes, are you on an outdoor are walk? Yeah, are you on <laughs> And I'm well, like, so it just, yeah. wow, because it can tell on GPS you're actually in motion, yeah. like, on the street. So it's keeping track of all my calories being burned, how yeah, long yeah, I'm yeah. exercising. There's there's something on here that I didn't set up. It just it, it default is on. I can turn it off. Uh -huh. It's called breathe. Uh -huh. And all of a sudden, like every I think it's about four hours or so, uh -huh. my wrist will vibrate, and I'll look down, and there'll be this um, this little beautiful watch-looking thing. Let's see if I can find it. See that little? It yeah, looks yeah. like a little oh, blue yeah, flower. Look at that. Look at that. And that's the breathe thing. And if I if I start it, it'll just say. Hey, just chill out. Focus on your breathing, and all oh, of a sudden, oh, I got you. So it's like a, sort of helps you. It's, it's with a reminder. Your, uh, it's a reminder. Yeah, um, sure. And I, honestly, I never thought I would. I would be this attached, literally, physically, uh -huh. to a piece of technology. Yeah, this thing is for me personally for what I'm doing right now. Yeah, game changer. Well, so. Well, it, you heard it here, guys. Yeah. iWatch, get it. That's uh, a <laughs> big guy. Watch. It's an Apple Watch or whatever. And don't don't um, waste your money. Get the extra hundred dollar one. That's a that's a phone in case you leave your phone at home. You get this because it's ten dollars. Like they're like you know it's a hundred dollars more, but it's got your phone on it. So that way, if you leave your phone at home, you still have your phone here. And oh, like, you don't need that. Yeah. I, go, yeah, I guess yeah. if if I run out of battery all the time, that's cool. But I'm like, I don't want to pay an extra ten dollars a month with with T-Mobile and. $100 to Apple. I wonder if the watch will get good enough where it'll be like, it'll vibrate and be like, hey, are you jacking off right now? <laughs> like, I, I, I'm sure right? somebody has the app. <laughs> like, they just, Apple yeah. won't let it on. 
<laughs> they probably have all the like metrics, yeah. but they're just like that's a hidden feature. <laughs> it's like, yeah, he's definitely jerking it, right? <laughs> and so I'm using so basically the, the this device is keeping track of all my calories I'm burning. Uh-huh. And then oh, so what I didn't say about this, so to jump out of this airplane, my buddy set me up to work out with the army once a once right. a week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. They, they basically and now uh, all the training I do during the week isn't to lose the weight. The training is so I don't f- collapse. Humiliate yourself in front of the army guys. They're all nineteen <laughs> like, years yeah, old. They're, they're getting ready to yeah. ship off, right? Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, and they're they're looking at me like they're 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 trying to work out so they can go to boot camp. It's they're pre recruits, so they're either still in school. They're young. Or also, when you sign up for the army, it's not like, hey, you go to boot camp tomorrow. It's right. like now, it's like oh, six months from now, we'll take you in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, so they're they're working out so that when they get to boot camp, they're physically fit. Uh-huh. Or I guess enough, you know, America, we have such a, a obesity problem that so many. No, but so many kids are unfit to join right. the army. Yeah. It's, a, it's a national defense problem. It's a real problem. Yeah. We and actually, I, I figured uh, it out when I... That army. Remember I was talking about reading 1984? I was literally sitting in the Starbucks in my little hometown, right? Their Starbucks is brand new. And um, sitting there reading 1984, and then there was a newspaper laying around, so I grabbed the newspaper. It's just like, oh... Cool. I'm just gonna hang out for the day, you know. Uh-huh. Avoid the family, even though I love my family. It's just like you know, sometimes yeah. I just want to be alone. Yeah. And um, and I read this article about how too many kids are too fat or too out of shape, too fat because we don't have physical education anymore. Right. Sporting sports yeah. have been we cut. Physical has been cut. Yeah. And that and and how the diet, even the, the the food that in the school is the unhealthiest, is worse than McDonald's. Oh yeah. And uh, and people are like, oh, you know, they support them, you know this body self positive positivity which i'm like yeah don't make people feel shitty about themselves but help them help them feel help their body feel better about themselves be healthy yeah yeah so anyway it, and they were talking about how like there were generals and stuff saying we got a real issue because the, some of the best and brightest can't join right because they're not so they're not so fit. what i'm doing is there's a couple kids in there who are slightly they're they're working their way so that when they get to basic they can actually pass the physical Oh, gotcha. and then so it's a bunch of nineteen-year-olds, and then this forty-nine-year-old man, nice. and all the kids are just looking at me like, "Who the hell is this old dude?" <laughs> all of the the like, there's a captain in charge, and then a uh, staff sergeant, and then I'm training with a sergeant, and they all know that. Listen, Lieutenant Colonel Flood has said that this guy's jumping out of an airplane. Right, and, right. And we need to help him do this because I'm also I'm gonna I'm I'm so bad about this. I'm supposed to be tweeting and texting about it because he's part of recruitment now. Oh, okay. So, he's, <laughs> so he's, you're trying he's to out of the field because what what I'm doing is I'm making it look like, hey, wouldn't it be fun to join the army? <laughs> look at me. I'm out here playing <laughs> soccer with these kids. Look at me, guys. I'm jumping out of a plane. The army's awesome. <laughs> it's so, sweet, bro. Yeah. I'm totally being used as a pawn to right. something. That Military industrial complex. Well, you know what? We're all yeah. beholden to it. I you know what? I uh, I wouldn't even be here if it wasn't for the Korean War. So you know, okay. <laughs> like I can't. You know, what about U.S. Army all the way? Um, well, actually, I, 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 we should wrap up in a bit. But uh, okay. before we go, one thing I uh, noticed was um, in your um, list of credits, one of the things you worked on uh, was a show called All Worked Up, uh, which yes. uh, <laughs> which I, I told you as well. I Does, used to I, work. I haven't even found that episode. I don't even know where it is. Um, you used to work on the show? I used to work at, um, not on the show, but I used to work at True TV in okay. New York, okay. and I cut clips from okay. All Worked Up and all the, I was there during that time at True TV where they were doing all that weird reality shit, like okay. all the fake reality stuff, so yeah, yeah. I definitely cut tons of clips. I was there from the All Worked Up to Lizard Lick Towing transition, <laughs> and where, okay. th- because the breakout stars from that show were yeah. these like uh, North Carolina towing dudes or whatever. Dude, um, speaking of True TV stars... 
the Impractical Jokers. Oh, dude, yeah. Is, I'm friends with Sal, one of the nicest guys. I heard, yeah, I've heard it. I've met them, actually. I've never yeah, met yeah, yeah. Nicer guy than, like, I don't know yeah. the other guys. I've never met, because yeah, yeah, yeah. stand-up, too. Yeah, yeah. One of the nicest guys in the world. They're all very nice. And very nice. I, didn't, I had no concept of how big it was. Huge. Until he was like, oh, we're going to um, Europe on this tour. I'm like, oh, that's cool. And I'm like, where are you playing? And he goes, oh, well, we're opening at the O2 Arena. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I had just seen... <laughs> Like a year before, I saw I was over in the UK and I saw the Monty Pythons there in that that room for, right. set up for for comedy where the stage is at the end sixteen thousand people Ooh. and I was like, and long story short, I was very close to the stage. I'm not telling you why. Uh -huh. but I look it up and I'm looking. Whenever I'm in a big huge crowd and I'm near the front, I was always turn around. And I go, I want this. Uh -huh. I want this crowd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm sitting there. And I'm looking up at sixteen thousand people. And I go, someday, someday I'm going to be on that stage. Right. I want to look up. Not from where I am, but slightly. Uh -huh. About 50 feet over there. <laughs> yeah, That's yeah, where I yeah. And then Sal. And then when <laughs> Sal told me he was doing it, I'm like, dude, dude, can I please do a guest set? I will fly myself to London because I can do gigs over there and make my money to come uh -huh. back. Yeah. I'm like, can he? goes, we could probably work that out. I'm yes. like, because you are literally living my literal dream. My actual, like, yeah. Like, if I had yeah, one that's something you wanted. Up, it's yeah. to stand on the O2 arena and look up. That's dope. Yeah, that's on the marquee, but I'll take the phone. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fucking awesome. Sorry, yeah. Sorry about it. So, you're on True <clears throat> TV. You're working on all the work done. I'm just saying that. Do you remember anything about the experience of, because uh, I'm assuming, were you, you must have been in California when that was shooting, right? Because were you, were you on it? Like, were you. So it must have been an actor so on it or something. So all worked up. There was, uh, I, I don't know if they used a real name on the show. There's a, uh, a meter maid who, yeah. who lived Jackie. here. Yeah. Jackie. Yeah. Yep. So. Uh, was that, were, were you in one of those yeah, so se uh, segments? <laughs> so Jackie is a legitimate, or she's retired now. Yeah. But she was a legitimate uh, meter maid here yeah. in, in Venice. Uh, she's a true character. True 100% character. Gotcha. Where the nicest, sweetest person like one time i was sitting outside of a coffee shop with her and we were looking at like somebody's computer and uh, she was on her break ah and somebody came up and they're like they're like they see her and they're like hey i'm just i'm just gonna go inside and get quarters and stuff she goes i'm on my break honey i don't give i don't care uh -huh. do whatever you gotta do uh -huh. right the nicest person that way or like literally the locals is i parked in my alley next to a dumpster once in one of my stupid like not in this building but a different building uh -huh. one of my asshole neighbors called the city to have my car towed because it was in the way and so uh -huh. the first thing it comes as a ticket uh -huh. she comes in and literally recognizes my car and just phones me and goes Brian move your car come on nice I don't want to give you a ticket cool you know, so like, she's like new you yeah. she's like a neighborhood fixture she's a total neighborhood local she's actually on one of the murals in Venice so her as a person was she was actually a real meter maid and a yes. real figure yes yeah, she just couldn't she couldn't wear the actual uniform gotcha on for camera the, uh, like it was, she was actually trying to use the actual LA, right? And they're just like, no, because the script is not real, and right. it's got to go through this whole division, blah blah. blah. Right. Overall, everything so. was fiction because I recognized. I mean, when I'm cutting it, like these are all actors. <laughs> this is clearly and, fake. And bad guys. acting. Like, because <laughs> they didn't give us a script. They're just like, okay, so uh, just make something up. So wait, so so here's this is the two funniest things she ever did is is one time I was like, if you go all the way down like Via Marina or Pacific Avenue, uh -huh. you, you, it, it kind of loops around because you hit the marina uh -huh. and there's these parking meters there and i used to every now and then i'd go to these parking meters and i would just sit there and just kind of like lay back in my car put my feet up out the window and just zen out you know uh -huh. just look, looking at sailboats going out to sea right uh -huh. and uh i remember one time i was sitting there and i used to have this big toyota truck so i could do it and um all of a sudden here if you want me to put the ticket between your toes i could do that or you can get out and pay the meter right now and i was like all right jackie i'll pay the meter and she goes good thanks and nice. uh, so super fun. Yeah. But if you step to her, people, because people are yelling at meter maids all the time. Yeah. 
she will rip your fuck. Like every now and then she'd be in the middle of talking to me about something nice. Somebody comes running over to yell at her and she would turn around and I'd be like, Jesus, like literally like full change, like right. Gollum to fucking. Yeah, exactly. The evil. She lets the evil out. Like what the f- like yeah. ripping someone's head off verbally. And right. Then, and then back and to then you. And then turning back and being like, <laughs> yeah, so we're going to, I'm go. And she also does comedy. Yeah, so we're going to go up to the John Lovett's comedy club. And and she's like, a stand-up too. <laughs> that's hilarious. I was like, well, then how? that's hilarious. Yeah. That's, so she just lights people up, roasts yeah. people or whatever. That's, that's awesome. So the episode I'm on. So I'm not proud of it because it was like, you weren't really given a script. You are just kind of like, so the episode I'm on because I own a Harley. It's like, we're going to park your Harley illegally. Uh-huh. She's going to come up and ticket it and you're going to scream and yell at her. You're going to grab her ticket gotcha. book and you're going to throw it into the into the water. Like okay. literally where, where she told me to not. So she put a ticket in my toes. Uh-huh. We're a hundred feet from there. Uh-huh. And uh, and it just becomes just this loud screaming match where it's just like, I'm sure as an editor, you're like, dude, give me some place to cut. <laughs> like, what is this? Yeah. Like, this is just, this is just over. It's just crosstalk and just crazy. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, a couple hundred bucks to sit outside. Nice. I mean, it's just a shooting little scene. They're just yeah. making up scenarios and stuff. <laughs> it was just so funny because they were like really trying to pass it off as real and mm-hmm. i would sit in a lot of these meetings and um what it really was was they suddenly got this huge audience in the south and okay. they were responding to this kind of like really fake yeah and that's why the lizard lick towing thing blew up because that was like the most um those are the most popular characters in that show which was actually yeah. a breakout show at that this is all before That'd practical be jokers yeah right exactly <laughs> so i think um they were pretty openly hostile toward their own audience. They were like, these fucking idiot yokels will yeah. eat anything up. And so they were just kind of just making this stuff for them. Um, but yeah, it was weird. It was a weird um, time to be there because they were making, it was like the whole company was making something that they really didn't believe in for people that they had to stain for. <laughs> so they just felt weird. I, I, would, like, say, I would say 90, 90% of, of the entertainment industry is that. Because like when I worked at NBC, yeah, yeah. there was a lot of, uh, I mean, forget the reality shows. Yeah. I will tell you this is, I feel like when I was in the promotion department, which is, we worked on the show launches. So I was yeah. like, part of the, the biggest part of the promo department is the This Week on Friends, Will Ross and oh, Rachel, right, where, right, you're cutting, yeah, yeah, yeah. where you're doing clip spots, where you're cutting clips from the actual show for this uh-huh. week. Uh, I got to work in the fun part, which is the launch. So you're trying to figure out how do we sell this new show to the American public, mm-hmm. you know? And can we do a, like a little shoot because we really they really only have the pilot, and there's only so many ways you can cut that f- for two months out that people are like, yeah, I've seen every joke in this uh-huh. goddamn thing. So you go out with the actress and you shoot stuff, but there was an enormous amount of. Uh, and so I, I was there, but, but yeah, there's a lot of like, who, who would watch this? And the people are like, yeah, people in the 18 to 24, the market we want, they uh-huh. would watch this. So it's not for, you know, because like, I was younger. Right. Then. But now, now I would be that guy going, who's watching this show with, with, uh, you know, right. like whenever they talk about some actress or actor in trouble now, I'm like, yeah. I, I don't even know who that is. Like millions of people love this person. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. Like Justin Bieber's out of it. And to me, he's like the young kid. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Bieber's, yeah. Bieber's old to the young kids now. Yeah. So, but I was there. When they launched The Apprentice. Nice. Zucker. Yeah. Jeff Zucker. Oh, yeah. But Donald Trump. Of course. Well, the two of them together. Yes. There when, like a friend of mine, I just talked to him the other day, and he said the weirdest, so, you know, he's there and he's actually shooting the Donald when he's, you know, he's just a real estate mogul. They're going to make him into a TV star. Just some guy. Yeah. And um, so he said, Don Don said something like, ah, people are always making fun of my hair. And my friend said to him, listen, if the only complaint people have with you is your hair, I think you're winning at life. Right. Could, 
don't you wish that we could go back to that moment in time? Man. And I don't know. To have that show fail. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, I think it's, um, you ever st- uh, see how people say like, it was the um, the White House Correspondence Center. I think it was like the 2011 oh, yeah, where, one. Where Obama makes it Where he was like, you will never ever be president. Basically told him he would never ever be president and then just left. Uh, and I think, because the camera actually like zooms in on Trump and he's just eating. <laughs> Just like eating and just, just stewing seeing, yeah. and eating, and I feel like that was the moment where he was like, "I'm gonna be president." He's I, like, "Oh, you, oh yeah, motherfucker!" Like, I've, I, I've seen, I've seen like legitimate news people go, "This, this might little like it, it looks, could be." It could I mean, be it's so public trigger. and so humiliating, and the yeah. dude is runs on ego, and and honestly, I feel like that is the danger of roast battling. You know, like yeah. you could really. <laughs> <laughs> we got Donald Trump because of roast battle. Um, so Bronston, where can people find you online? Like on uh, all social media, I'm at Bronston Jones, which is B R O N S T O N Jones, one word. Uh-huh. Uh huh. On the social, yep. all the social media. Yep. You can go to Bronston.com and you can look at stuff I was doing two to three years ago because I don't update it. And uh, I also just started a new podcast called the I Am What I Am. I Am What I Am. So not I Am What I Am because somebody else already has a very religious thing. So I think their people will be very annoyed when they come to the wrong one. But it's I Am What I Am, sort of the way Pipe says it. Yes, with wise. And it's been very fun. There's f- only five episodes up, but I've had Ryan Sickler, Josh Adam Myers. Nice. Uh, then some filmmaker people. And uh, there will be... Uh, the guy who's a director now, but he used to be Van Halen's tour manager. He's got amazing. His, his episode's actually funnier than any stand-up comics. Yeah, honestly, we've probably got some great stories. Yeah. yeah. And so they're all really good friends of mine, and they're, they're people who I, I who inspire me. And now uh-huh. that I'm, I'm literally changing my life now, uh-huh. is, but I'm, I'm going through, as I'm editing, I'm going, what a great piece of advice. And I'm actually, you know, like, they're, you know, because we're all faking it that we got it together. Yeah. But every now and then you realize, oh, somebody has it together slightly more than I do in this one area. And so I'm, I'm really finding... Yeah, I'm finding inspiration and motivation from other people. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that's yeah. what I find too. Doing this, well, I you know that's that's the whole thing about you know they say um, like wisdom is learning from the yeah. mistakes of other people, right? right? You get to learn, you know, like and really, I think that kind of came for me with age, like getting older. Yeah. I, I realized that like ah, oh, dude, I don't know anything. <laughs> like, that, you know, like a big part of the show is is finally just going. I am what I am, and I don't care what people think. I, I care what certain people, certain individuals. I care about what they think yeah. and how I affect their life. Yeah. But when the average person comes up to me or somebody's like, "You're not funny," or they start yelling at me on the internet or like, right. after a show. I just look at them like there's something going on in their life where like I'm just not for them. I don't care. Exactly. Yeah. And the other reason I do the podcast is Steve Simone, who's my first guest. Uh-huh. I love him. One of the best. He's hilarious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's one of the most joyful comedians. Uh-huh. Like probably the only truly joyful comedian I know. Like not all the time off stage, which we talk about that, but on stage he's just spreading nothing but childish childhood stories and joy. Uh-huh. Like you really kind of go back to being a twelve year old. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. In yeah. love with life is. He said on one of his podcasts, which is why I had him do my first one, is he goes, he looks at podcasting as just sharing his friends uh-huh. with anybody who wants to listen. Right. Because we have the best friends. Yeah. So why wouldn't, why wouldn't you want other people to listen yeah. to what we're talking about? Yeah, yeah. And, and so many people out there actually crave conversations like this in life. You know, they yeah. don't actually get to experience that. So I think that's one of the benefits of like... Just yeah, so if you're lonely out there, I'm really glad that you look yeah. <laughs> Find Bronston if online. If your cubicle sucks, I'm going to give you some advice. Leave the cubicle. Yeah. You're going to drop dead someday. Yeah. Don't, don't like that depress you. Make you go, wait, if I'm going to drop dead someday, then I should live today. Not like my last, but yeah. like my first. I mean, if you love the cubicle, stay. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you hate it, you leave because you are dying. If you love you what dying. you're doing, all you're doing is collecting money and that money doesn't exist. 
Money's not real, people. Exactly. I mean, take it from a guy who was a commercial director. Take I mean, take <laughs> yeah, take it from a guy who had it all and now, but he still has an eye, uh, uh, like an Apple Watch. I, you know, I, he's still. I love that. That stand-up comedy is like you're listening to a philosopher who lives in his car. <laughs> well, it's essentially that's what it is. It's like you know, uh, you ever. Uh, study philosophy like uh, Diogenes you know about Diogenes he was like a dude in Athens mm-hmm. who would like live in a bathtub <laughs> and like yeah. would just like just talk shit to people he was like the one of the cynics or something um, don't you also have a comedy show every every Wednesday, Wednesday. Night. okay every Wednesday night if I'm in Los Angeles you will find me at the Venice Underground Comedy which yeah. is at the townhouse townhouse okay and the easiest way to find the townhouse is if you can f- ask around say hey where is the Venice sign and the Venice sign is this landmark trademark item historical landmarker and it's a venice sign that hangs over a street and as soon as i said that you probably go oh i've seen that in pictures and it's on that street between that sign and the beach just after around for the town so it's called the townhouse mm-hmm. every wednesday night um so like eight or something like that uh, we okay. open the doors at nine show starts at 9 30 and we get uh cool some of the biggest and best comedians in, in the planet come down there because they're off the radar they're out of hollywood and they can really just they can go crazy right on man oh yeah. shit i gotta check it out um 100, 150 people show up every week nice very nice um cool bronson well is there uh, anything beyond that is there anything you like to plug anything any dates coming up or anything like know, that right? live your best life right on man well thank you so much for doing this Thanks, um dude. great talking yeah